Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm joined this week by, with uh, Dr. Smith to discuss the topic of the will and freedom. And to get us started, uh, I want to let everybody know that this, this topic comes to us primarily from one of the courses that we're offering at Catholic Studies Academy on the philosophy of the human person. Uh, especially today where the human person is, re is reduced uh, to much less than what the human person actually is. I think this course is one of the most important ones that people today need to at least study and to look at how, how have the ancient philosophers and how have people throughout uh, the philosophical history, how have they looked at the human person? How does the Catholic Church look at the human person? To see who she really, to see who they really are, and to see the dignity that they were given by God, uh, in the way that they were created, and so today the topic we want to look at, like I said, is the will and freedom. Now to get us started, Dr. Smith, uh, why don't we talk about like what is the will and uh, how does freedom work within it? All right. Well, thank you, Jason. Uh, I think a, a good way to uh, approach this important topic. It's obviously important uh, in a society and culture like our own which has a, a really high estimation of freedom, puts a lot of emphasis on freedom, uh, both in sort of our public policies and sort of uh, different rhetorical context. Uh, the idea of freedom, the, the vocabulary of freedom is very important uh, to, uh, to our culture, to the way we think about things. And so it's, it's important to have a, a clear view about that, uh, clear view of what does it mean for the human, uh, for the human person to be free uh, and to engage in voluntary action. I think that it's sort of in the big picture, it's, it's helpful, or it's, I think it's helpful to, to sort of back up a little bit and look at the, the broad sort of overall view of a human being, at least in terms of um, sort of a classical psychology. So what a lot of people uh, are not aware of is that um, within the philosophical tradition, especially in the classical tradition, it's a very robust um, view of human psychology that was developed. Um, so really, literally the term psychology, uh, comes from, uh, you know, it's the study of the psyche, uh, which is the same word, uh, the same Greek word, which is ultimately talked about as the soul, uh, or that what we talk about as the soul. Uh, and so I think it's, um, uh, useful to kind of just kind of get a, a sort of broad lay of the land here, right? Yeah, as far yeah. as, uh, understanding what, uh, in some settings is called rational psychology, or you could just say philosophical psychology, if you like. Okay. Um, so uh, in, in Thomas's approach, uh, which is really uh, a development of Aristotle's own approach, um, he thinks about human activities and human experience in terms of underlying powers or capacities that make that kind of action or experience possible. Um, these powers, right, so are, are sometimes called faculties. Um, they are capacities to either act or to experience in a certain way, as well as inclinations to experience things in that way uh, or act in that way. So it's just easiest to start with a, a concrete example. Clearly, human beings have the capacity to experience uh, sense, that is, or sensible things. So Thomas would say, uh, and Aristotle would say, well, uh, we have sensible type experience. That is, uh, we experience sense qualities. We experience uh, temperature, texture, color, 
uh, all sorts of things like that, as well as things uh, like uh, motion uh, as well. So like we can um, uh, see uh, we can see motion as well as feel it, which is kind of interesting. So mm-hmm. in technical vocabulary of uh, philosophical psychology, that's a common sensible, that it's kind of uh, quality or a sensible thing that can be uh, sensed by various uh, sense organs, both sight and touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We know we have a sense power because we have sense experience. That is, right. We have sense we experience sensible things, um, and because uh, we experience that, that means we have the capacity to experience it. So this is why um, Thomas would say, you know, from the the human form, there's the the human soul. We have the power of uh, sense. Now, in addition to the external sensibles like touch, uh, like a touch or, or texture, temperature, color, those sorts of things. There's also what we call the internal sense powers. And these are powers that uh, not only uh, detect sort of the um, tangible sensibles, uh, but also things like um, uh, time, uh, things like harm, sequence, uh, relationship, uh, proximity, etc. So really we have a robust sense life, but we have that because we have built into us certain sense powers does that make sense yeah yeah the way that we experience these things is through our sense powers the Mm -hmm. way that god designed us is that we have this ability to experience things in and through our senses that's right yeah got it uh uh, up into including time and also a a sensation or kind of a initial perception of something as as potentially harmful Mm -hmm. or as uh dangerous or perhaps uh potentially pleasant um and uh, that's an important thing to, to add in there uh, uh, because those initial perceptions, right, um, which have a lot to do with, I don't want to get into all the details now, but uh, the interplay of memory and instinct and things of that nature, um, because of those uh, sensations or perceptions, we might say estimations, mm-hmm. um, we have uh, uh, a sensible response, and that is our emotions. So our emotions are our, our passions are a response to uh, uh, the perception of something as dangerous, as harmful, as painful, or as pleasant or useful. Uh, and so we not only have the capacity to uh, sense things, but in response, right, to our sensations, to feel things, right, right. to feel passions that are either towards something or away from something. Broadly speaking, right. Because I see a bear. I'm terrified. That's right. That's right. And that's a, a and that's actually a useful right. <laughs> if you think about it. Response because that passion moves you to retreat, to yeah. hide, uh, or to prepare your firearm, as it that's were. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> right. So uh, um, uh, uh, those those passions are are useful for us. Now, of course, there's a lot more complexity here than what I'm saying. I just want to give kind of a broad overview. Um, now, in addition to the sense level, so we have two powers here we've talked about. We have the sense perception, you can okay. say, as well as sense appetite. Right? Okay. Those sense appetites are our affective response to the things that we perceive sensibly. But in addition to that, of course, we know that as human beings, uh, uh, that's not our own, uh, sensations are our only uh, sensible power, or that's not our only um, uh, cognitive power. Right. In addition to sensation, we also have intellect. Which allows us to um, to experience, to think, um, in terms of universal ideas, um, to define things, to categorize, to form abstractions, 
uh, like abstractions like uh, human being or justice or truth or things of that nature, right? So we, uh, and, and, you know, again, the evidence that we have such a power is just human life, right? We do that, right? We, we form abstract concepts. We form judgments about uh, what's good or bad, uh, what's true or false, those sorts of things, right? Right. Um, so that's at the level of intellect. Now, the way Thomas thinks about this, and again, he gets this from Aristotle's, wherever you have an apprehensive power, that is a power that takes in sort of um, information or knowledge about the world, there's also a responsive power. So at the sense level, right, we have sensation, right, or the sense power that takes in sense information, but then we have the sense passions that are responsive to that. Right. At the higher level, when we think about uh, the sort of cognitive level, um, the intellect takes in what is universal, what is permanent, thinks about things in terms of truth and falsehood, uh, can also think about things in terms of argument. In response to the, that um, level of experience, we also have a responsive power, and that is the will. So that in Thomas's vocabulary, just like we have a sense apprehensive power, that is the sense, uh, and a appetitive power, the passions, we also have an apprehensive power that is the intellect or cognitive power that is intellect and a responsive power that is the rational appetite. And that's what the, the way that Thomas thinks of uh, the will. So if you present something to me, uh, a statement uh, uh, um, that is uh, potentially either false or true, mm-hmm. um, I take that in through my intellectual capacity right. and uh, um, I make that judgment of mm-hmm. whether, and this is where we're, what we're talking about with the kind of this rational appetite is that I'm, I'm making a judgment mm-hmm. of, of I'm processing what you are saying as, as either true or false. Okay. Well, to, to be uh, a little more precise, the, the, that's the intellect. The, the, when the, in, the, the object of the intellect is really truth and being. Right. So okay. it's the okay. part that's doing that processing. Right. Okay. Um, now what, um, uh, what does, where the will comes in, right. Is the rational appetite is when the intellect rec- when the intellect recognizes something as good and desirable, right. The rational appetite is a response to, right. Uh, the perception or the judgment that something is good by the intellect. Right. Let me give, let me give you an example how this might work out. Yeah. So, um, uh, if you're thinking about, say, say you go to a uh, um, uh, a nice breakfast or morning reception, and they have laid out there for you uh, a beautiful selection of donuts, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah, exactly, right. And so you think, so you you smell the donuts, uh, and by your memory, right, uh, that smell triggers in you a desire, like, oh, this is great, like this is going to be a great, this is going to be an okay meeting. Because there's going to be donuts here, and the donuts are going to taste good, and I want to have a donut. In fact, I probably want to have more than one donut, right? So you, at that level, right, you're thinking, okay, yeah, I'm experiencing the smell of donuts, right? And then I'm affectively responding to, ooh, I want to eat a donut. I want to eat maybe more than one, okay? So at that level, you're, you're sort of moving towards the donut table, okay. right? You're getting out your paper plate. You set that first one on there. You set the second one on there. There's not too many people at this meeting, so you think, well, I'd hate for a donut to go to waste, right? Mm-hmm. So you start to reach for that third one. A good steward of <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's steward. right. That's right. So you're reaching for what I, the third donut, right? Yeah. 
And you think to your, but you think to yourself, wait a second. I also remember that my doctor told me that I need to watch my sugar, that I need to watch my weight, etc. Right. And so even though my senses are, are pulling me towards that third donut, mm-hmm. my intellect says, probably not a good idea. <laughs> right. And so the will in response to that should reject the third donut. Okay, does that, does that example help yeah, a little yeah, bit? Yeah, no, it helps. So even though you feel like the desire for the third donut, you say, I will not have a third donut. <laughs> right? That's, that's great. great. And, that's, and again, this, this, this is how uh, uh, the human person operates. And this is, you know, something that we have to understand, you know, that even though the, like the immediate reaction to the donut, mm-hmm. you know, is to eat the three. Yeah, that's right. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that, that I am compelled to eat the three. That's right. There's this, there's a unique part of the human person that comes into play mm-hmm. here, namely the will. The will, yeah. The will, but very importantly, attached to the intellect, right? Because yeah, it's, it's in, separated. Yeah, right. It's intellect that allows you to see that even though at one level the third donut's desirable, uh, at a different level, at a higher intellectual level, you recognize the third donut uh, is is not good yeah, and not desirable, run, yeah. right? And so that your will, although you, you we'll talk about failures here in a minute, uh, the will, because it's a rational appetite, uh, it has as its object uh, the good seen by reason. That's the proper mm-hmm. object of the intellect. So even though you see that the pleasure of the third donut is is a possibility, right? Your your intellect says, but your health is more important, maybe more important for your family, more important itself, et cetera, right? Uh, and so because your your intellect perceives the third donut to be um, uh, not desirable, right. right? Then your will is capable of saying, well, even though I want it, so you're still having that feeling of I want it, sure. you're also able to say, but I will not have it, right? So it's important to see the complexity of the human being here in his psychology uh, that we can at one, at one and the same time have an urge to do something and not do it. Right. That's because we have two different apprehensive powers. We have two powers that take information in and we have two powers that then respond to that information. And it's good to, and it's good to note here that this is also why the uh, uh, the church and St. Thomas specifically talks about how our passions need to be governed by our reason That's right. mm-hmm. and our doctors mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, right. I don't know if we put that part in there but uh, uh, but but that mm-hmm. but that part is uh, uh, is very important because you know there's you know there you know for the longest time there was you know the saying in common culture if it feels good do it. That's right, right. sure. You know so it was very much a, a life lived in pursuit of satisfying the passions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the intellect and the governing of the passions by reason and by the intellect was simply seen as prudish or sure. uh-huh. or just uh, you know uh, stifling who mm-hmm. you are right, as a human right, person. Right. But we but but we know from uh, divine revelation and from the writings of the saints mm-hmm. uh, that the human and just from classical philosophy mm-hmm. that the human person is is so much more that the human person is more complex than that. And the human person is not, was not created to be a slave to their passions. Right. Sure. That they were uh, made in the image and likeness of God. And part of this image and likeness was the ability to use our intellect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also important to note that part of the fall right, sure. was a weakened will, That's a right. darkened yeah. intellect yeah. and a weakened will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So when where where does freedom come in to okay, say sure. uh, um, kind of this uh, uh, you know the this operation of the the, the senses and the intellect mm-hmm. and the will? Yeah, it's great. So the uh, 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 it it's a little bit complex, but the classical view uh, of of freedom. Uh, is a little more complicated than I think our contemporary view. Our contemporary view tends to think of freedom in terms of uh, almost sheer spontaneity, mm-hmm. um, that the will has to be sort of completely uncaused, that the will even has no proper object, okay? Uh, and so that whatever you will, you will, and that's your freedom, right? Yeah. So that freedom is almost a kind of um, um, arbitrariness, um, that sort of thing. Subjectiveness. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Uh, whereas uh, for Thomas, it's not like that. So with each of the powers, so whether we're talking about the sense powers, whether we're talking about sense passion, whether we're talking about intellect or we're talking about will, each of the powers has a proper object. Now, I'm going to leave out some details here just for the sure. sake of clarity. Um, but uh, in general terms, right, the, the object of our various sense powers are the various sense qualities. When those sense qualities uh, emerge in our experience, they actualize our potential to see color, to hear sound, that sort of thing, right? Um, the the sense passion has as its proper object the uh, the sensible good, okay? And that's actually important because the sensible good is important in our lives. Uh, it's it uh, don't want to give the wrong impression from the the donut example. It's not as if it's always opposed, right? right. Very often, the sensible good is something we should pursue. Um, and so, yeah, that's its proper object. It's going to move towards whatever is perceived as, uh, uh, sensible, uh, as a sensible good. Similarly, it's going to move away from whatever is perceived to be a sensible evil. That has the idea then of there being proper objects of each of these powers. The object is the kind of reality that actualizes the thing, right? That moves it, right? Now, uh, with the intellect, uh, there's a couple of things to say uh, about the proper object, um, specifically narrowly speaking um sensible reality or sensible being right not just sensible qualities but sensible mm-hmm. being the truth about sensible being uh is is the the most proximate object more broadly we would say that truth and being in its broadest sense is the object of the intellect so that the intellect is stimulated by and oriented towards being towards reality mm-hmm. and when that when it is actualized by reality, uh, that's when the intellect achieves truth. Okay? okay, so that's its proper object. This object includes what is truly desirable, right? So recognizing not just what may feel or appear to be desirable, but recognizing that which is in reality desirable. Okay, now um, uh, did did you have a thought there? About yeah, that? and that and that and that so much of that includes. The, the intellect mm-hmm. we have to sure. we have to uh, be able to recognize uh, what is good and what is bad mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. my my you know two-year-old mm-hmm. doesn't really know what is good or bad and mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. they they will choose things that are bad not knowing them right whereas whereas what we want to do here is to, to look at the things that are actually good and, mm-hmm. and this involves uh the intellect before the the will is put into place or the before the will is put into mm-hmm. action the intellect is the one that recognizes what is good now right. we can't say that the intellect can be wrong right sure yeah the that's perceived possible. good and that's why mm-hmm. you know I, i'll make a note here that we talk about 
that the intellect chooses or the will chooses what is what the intellect perceives. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, Although um, uh, Thomas is fairly optimistic about the possibility of the will perceiving um, all the of wide variety of things that are desirable in some respect or another. Right. Okay. So that's an important qualification. I'll wrap back around to that. Yeah. Um, In terms of freedom, right? The intellect, the intellect really makes the rational appetite free. So it's a it's a more complex view than than I think the contemporary one. Mm-hmm. We have free choice because the intellect is able to perceive many things to be desirable, right, and even truly desirable, uh, and then some things to be desirable in one way or another. So, take for example, you're thinking about uh, what kind of profession to pursue, right? Right. Well, there are lots of different pr- professions to, for you to pursue. Of course, some of the things you want to think about. When you're thinking about the kind of uh, professional choice uh, is in terms of your abilities, your interests, your opportunities, all those sorts of things. But um, but the intellect can recognize, oh, you know, like, like uh, this is a, you know, being a, a professor is desirable. Uh, being, um, you know, an engineer is, is desirable. Being a mechanic is desirable. Being a housewife is desirable. These different things. Right. So because the intellect can perceive so many different things to be desirable in one way or the other, Mm -hmm. that gives the will uh, the freedom to select between goods, right? So that uh, the the will goes towards and can select anything that the will, sorry, that the intellect perceives to be desirable in one way or the other. And I think this brings up an important point maybe you could highlight for us a little bit is the connection between our use of mm-hmm. freedom or mm-hmm. our, our ability to make a free choice and the good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The good. So, you know, is it, is it really a use of our freedom if we're choosing between something that is bad and something that is mm-hmm. good or how do, how do we, you know, is that, is that a, a really a, a, an exercise of our freedom if we recognize a good and something that is evil mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for us to, to say, well, I don't know which one, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe I should choose the, the bad one. You know, how do we, how do we yeah. look at this? I, I would say it's in a, uh, so when we, when we choose poorly, right, when we choose something that's bad, um, there's different reasons we do that, but we'll just take the strongest example uh, in an act of malice. That is where we recognize at a certain level that it's bad. Uh, can we freely choose to do something that's evil? And I would say, um, yes, in a deficient way, yeah. right? Yes, in uh, yes, and it's an abuse. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, uh, think about it like this. Um, um, if I wanted to, right, I could, um, I could, uh, I could paint my room with two different instruments. I could use a roller brush, mm-hmm. which is suited to and ordered towards painting, putting paint on walls effectively, at least for some people, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not a very good painter myself, but, um, uh, but, or I could use a shovel, right? Right now, uh, this may seem like a prosaic example, but it, it, it gets to the point that that's an abuse of a shovel. Right, like shovels aren't meant to; they're not suited to; they're not ordered towards painting. You're still painting with a shovel, just really poorly. Yeah. Right. So when we use our freedom, right, to choose something that we think to be evil in some way or the other, um, uh, we're really abusing our freedom in the sense that we're abusing the will itself. 
we're using the will to choose something that is contrary to the proper object of the will. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, it's got to say, well, how could you? How could it choose something that's entirely contrary to the proper object of the will? That's a good question. Um, it, it can't be entirely contrary, right? It has right. to be in a dis, deficient or disordered way. So maybe a, good, a better way of putting it is a disordered use of freedom. I think I can uh, illustrate this with a, uh, a concrete example. So let's consider the husband who's experiencing temptation to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously this is far more important than the one example we were using earlier, but what could be perceived to be desirable in this situation? Well, several different things could come to mind. Uh, several different things could be experienced as desirable here. Certainly at a, uh, at a level, uh, one would presume that if he's tempted, uh, that there is a, a kind of physical or sexual attraction there so that the person is experiencing at the sense level, uh, this could be pleasurable, yeah. right? You know, uh, uh, certainly physically, perhaps exciting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. at, a, at a sense level as well. So in those ways, a, a, an act of adultery might appear, notice my language, appear to be desirable. Now, the intellect will, of course, judge that this is not desirable, that it's evil because it involves an injustice to one's wife, mm-hmm. right? So that through intellect, I recognize, oh, actually, this is contrary. Um, this is undesirable. This is uh, to to someone who is a husband, right? Because right. of the injustice towards a wife. Now, the intellect is also aware of, right, that it's sensibly pleasurable, both at the level, uh, the, the sort of bodily level, but also at the level maybe of excitement. Mm-hmm. So the will, so what appears before the will, so to speak, yeah. is the good of fidelity, the good of the bodily pleasure, the good of the excitement. Do you follow me? Yeah. Right? Now, only one of those options is uh, what is really desirable. Right. And really good. And really good. Right. Um, And so um, the freest act for the will is to act in accordance with its own nature, which is to go towards that good known by reason, Mm -hmm. which in this case would be fidelity. At the same time, the will is capable because adultery can be seen to be desirable under a certain respect. Right. Not really desirable, not fully desirable as a human being. But desirable under a certain respect. Right. It's some able to elements. Lie. Yeah, that that's right. Right. So I mean, Thomas is willing to be complicated about this and, and sort of say, like, in an act of adultery, um, there's a reason people are tempted to sin, right? There's a reason that there's an attraction to evil because there are some aspects of evil that, taken in isolation, right, you know, taken in, uh, uh, in abstraction from the full picture, can appear to be desirable. Right. I mean, when an accountant commits fraud, it's rarely just because he's like, I just love fraud. Right. It's because he's like, oh, it's desirable to have more money. Right. It's desirable maybe to get out of this debt that I owe or right. whatever it may be. Right. Uh, he's doing it because uh, of the way in which he sees it as desirable. Now, in fact, right, whenever you commit fraud, when you commit adultery, you're choosing something that's not actually desirable as a whole. You're choosing something that's not fully desirable. Um, uh, and you're neglecting that which is truly desirable. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, you know, even for, uh, to take another example, maybe the, um, uh, the person who is uh, severely harmed by somebody 
uh, takes revenge, mm -hmm. but perceives it as justice. Mm -hmm. sure. You know, and so you know he goes and he uh, commits murder, but right. perceives it as justice. You mm -hmm. know, so it's mm -hmm. kind of this. Uh, um, false perception, but at the mm -hmm. same time, you know, like you said, it, he perceives it mm -hmm. as, yeah, right. as good. And, and, and he, he, you know, I would say for my part that uh, it, if it was a true harm that was done to him, right, a true injustice, his judgment that an injustice has been done might be correct. Right. His anger uh, at that might be correct as long as it's proportionate. It might in, even be the case that he's right to think that that person deserves to be punished. Right. Where he would be wrong is to think, and I am the punisher, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. So that that's where that's where the disconnect would come. Is it's not uh, the private citizen is not uh, the um, the person who punishes malefactors, who, who punishes the, the evil, right? So, so 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 when we're talking about freedom, it's it's not this this power that humans have that is completely disassociated from. Uh, uh, things of the intellect mm -hmm. or our passions, but mm -hmm. it's something that involves the intellect, the will. It involves. Sure. It seems to involve everything. Yeah. Whereas it seems that many times in our contemporary world, kind of the free will or freedom, the a, a, a use of freedom, is sometimes seen as kind of this this thing that is uh, um, not attached to anything. Mm -hmm. That it can simply be. A, a pure act of mm -hmm. uh, the will, mm -hmm. um, but the authentic use of freedom, mm -hmm. it must always be uh, connected to what is good. Yeah, sure. And uh, um, uh, and that's to the very nature of the will itself. That's the key here, right? Yeah. Is the, the, the nature of the will, its proper object is, the, is, is that which is uh, really desirable in accordance with reason, right? So that when you have uh, what's really desirable there, right, when you're choosing that, when you're choosing fidelity, right, mm -hmm. you might say, oh, I'm not free. I can only have sex with one woman or whatever it may be, right? Like, I'm not really free. I'm, I'm bound to this obligation. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Thomas would say, no, 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 that, that is, in fact, freedom, right? That is, you are, you are acting in accordance with, the, with the, the will itself, according to the voluntas. You're, you're acting according to the will when you go towards and choose that thing, which in fact is the really desirable thing. It's an abuse of freedom to, uh, and a disordered use of the will uh, to freely choose adultery. Right. So, you know, when we're, when the, the, the Christian is discerning something, mm -hmm. you know, authentic discernment is between two things that are genuinely good. Like you mm -hmm. were talking about a profession. That's right. Yeah. You know, you can't discern, you know, do I murder somebody or hug them? That's right. You know, that, that, that's not real yeah. discernment right. because that's a, that would be, that's a, that's a choice between an abuse of freedom and uh, mm -hmm. the only choice. That's know? right. Right. Um, and so when, you know, when we look at, who the human person is as a whole, mm -hmm. these free choices that we make, mm -hmm. they involve both the, the, the intellect and the powers of the intellect, um, but also but also the, the, the responsive powers of the will. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So maybe even maybe another another way to... Uh, uh, how about this? I'll okay. throw this out there okay. and we'll see what you think of this. Right. So if you think of, you know, say the, the human person as uh, um, being a, uh, a football player, Okay. Um, in the game of in the game of football, mm -hmm. there are these boundaries. Sure. Um, and he within those boundaries, and I, by that I mean not just the physical boundaries, but the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. He's able to make all all different sorts mm -hmm. of decisions. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but choosing to cheat mm-hmm. would be uh, uh, would be an abuse That's right. uh, uh, of the game of football, and That's people right. would you know there's there's outrage when when this happens in, in many different aspects sure. where you know but a, but a really good game of football where we really I think you know uh, cheer on the players and uh, uh, really. Mm-hmm. experience a, a beautiful game sure uh-huh. even, even beautiful game right, of football, right, right. i agree uh, uh is when is when um both teams are operating within the parameters that have been defined sure. and uh, uh uh they're competing at their highest level right yeah you yeah. Know? and mm-hmm. so i think it's similar to the human person that, that god created us with particular mm-hmm. boundaries mm-hmm. um uh, and, and by that i mean like good and evil mm-hmm. um and but but the ability to to uh sense and mm-hmm. to um, uh, uh, the ability to choose this, mm-hmm. and so a life that is uh, freely and um, uh, lived well, right? Sure, is a life that is lived well within the boundaries that God has Absolutely. created us. And yeah. like you said, that's that's what we mean when we say you know it, it fits with the nature of the will, the will itself. That mm-hmm. we have to that, that we that the will and the intellect they do need to operate within these uh, uh, boundaries mm-hmm. that are. There by design. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that the will has a target, so yeah. to speak, right? And uh, when you uh, use your will well, it's hard to say, but yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, then you are actually um, you're actualizing its freedom to the highest degree. Um, whereas you're compromising its freedom, uh, you're compromising the very nature of the will when you use it poorly. I mean, one way, uh, another way of getting at it, kind of going, uh, sort of working off of your example is is to say that that genuine freedom is compatible with boundaries. It's compatible with order, um, which does mean um, taking some possibilities off the board. And I think very often the way that freedom is thought of today is sheer possibility. Right. right? That that that's what makes one free is just sheer, undifferentiated, unbounded possibility. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, Thomas say, no, that, that, that's a- actually quite wrong that, uh, that freedom is in fact, uh, selecting some goods from among others, yeah. but still selecting goods. Right. And that that is what's in keeping with, uh, the very nature of the will. Um, you know, at a less technical level, I think you can see this, uh, in terms of just as say going with playing a game, um, you're free to play the game and you can play the game freely uh, up until you violate the rules. Right. Once you violate the rules, you're not playing the game anymore. Like you've right. stopped playing the game. The game has ceased. Uh, and in fact, that there are many goods that are available to us only within those boundaries. Right. Mm. So when I think about, say, my own children, what I hope for them is that, you know, uh, they will that I'm I'm providing boundaries for them so that eventually they will provide boundaries for themselves. Uh, and, and not just for the sake of having boundaries, but because there are certain goods that can only be had within boundaries. Yeah. Right? You know. And this is, you know, one way I always like to explain it as well. I mean, you think, think about it on a, on a worldwide level. Mm-hmm. If everybody in the world were going to follow the, uh, uh, the fifth and the seventh commandments. Okay. They were going to uh, um, follow those to the nth degree. Think about the freedom mm-hmm. that you and I would have to travel. 
Sure. Mm. You could you wouldn't worry about going downtown, mm. you know, at night. Mm. You know, we could we could go, you know, hiking in the mountains of sure. Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Right, you know, right. be, because we would we mm. would we would cease to be afraid of somebody mm-hmm. killing us or robbing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we wouldn't have locks on our doors. Mm-hmm. That that, you know, the uh, particularly when it refers particularly when it has to do with the divine law. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. When we operate within those boundaries, when the human person operates within the boundaries of the sure, divine yeah. law, mm-hmm. this is where they authentically experience, you know, uh, true freedom. True freedom and 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 more actual goods and more yeah. actualization uh, of the human person himself. I mean, they, uh, in one sense, you know, um, when you um, select a profession, when you select a place to live. Uh, when you select someone to marry, right, and they select you back, <laughs> right? Keep it. Uh, that's right. Um, there is a sense in which you could think you're, if you identify freedom with possibility, you're yeah. going to think, oh, I'm less free now. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas that doesn't actually make a lot of sense if you think about it. I mean, if freedom is only sheer possibility, then all goods will be possible, but none actual. Right. 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 Which is no good. Yeah. <laughs> right? In fact, that's, uh, it's a terrible, that would be a terrible way to live. And I, I actually it. think that, that, um, that, that this is actually a kind of a modern conundrum to some degree, right? Sure. Because we've identified freedom so much with possibility yeah. that there's a certain kind of paralysis of possibility that we often face where we're, it's very hard for us to make, uh, deep substantive commitments, whether we're talking about marriage or even to sort of say uh, to a lifestyle, uh, a demanding lifestyle or something like that, a religious commitment and so forth, yeah. because it makes it, because it makes it seem to us that, Oh, because we think of freedom as sheer possibility that I'm less free. Right. Whereas actually, if you think of freedom as selecting between goods, the more committed you are, that is the more that you have selected the freer you are, the more you have actualized and realized your freedom in action. Right, and this is and this is the way that that, that God has designed us from the beginning. All right, one more example. Okay. Uh, <laughs> For some reason, examples is, are are, are, are yeah, easy to yeah. come by here. Well, yeah, it's so it's so, but but so, but the I think the mind the mind needs the yeah, intellect sure. needs something to grasp. So you know, uh, another way. I used to be an auto mechanic. Okay. So uh, um, the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, design the car in a certain way. Sure. Um, when I was a Ford mechanic, we had a problem with diesels. And mm-hmm. uh, they mm-hmm. came out with this new model of diesel that had a turbo on it. And it had a problem. Okay. Uh, brand new brand new trucks right, right off the showroom floor had this huge problem. And um, the mechanics tried to fix it. We called Ford. They couldn't fix it. So okay. they actually had to call the manufacturer of the part. And okay. we had to come out, look at the part, and 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 tell us you know uh, uh, what was wrong with it and how it operates correctly. Uh, um, uh, it was it was it was important for us to be able to to fix it, um, to know how it works and to know uh, um, uh, how it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can only know that from the manufacturer, mm-hmm. from because the manufacturer showed us what it was designed to do. Okay. When you look at a car. Mm-hmm. I'm not free to, to decide, mm-hmm. okay, my car is going to run on water because I can just get that out of the tap. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when you try to run my car on water? Well, you, you're <laughs> going to break the damn thing mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because it was not designed to run on water. So mm-hmm. it, it, it actually, it, it would be a horrible mm-hmm. choice for mm-hmm. me to decide to yeah. choose sure. 
to run my car on water right um because it wasn't designed that way and so it's i, I think it's similar with the human person mm-hmm. we have to and this is what the the, the course in the philosophy of the human person does is that it looks at the design of the human person mm-hmm. uh, at a at a at a deep mm-hmm. at a deep level yeah. with with uh, the intellect and the will and mm-hmm. to, to really explore these uh, these elements of the design so that and this is very important so that we don't uh, uh, um, abuse the gift that God has given us. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great example. Uh, I mean, here's the thing is if you try, if you, uh, try to drive your car, uh, with, uh, on water, uh, you're not free to drive anywhere. Right. right. That's right. So, um, I think that's very apropos, Jason. Uh, one just final thought here, uh, that I think we can glean from the classical tradition. Another way of talking about this or highlighting it is the idea of self-governance and self-direction. Um, you know, even I would say, uh, that this was not, perfectly preserved but somewhat preserved uh, to some degree in, in some of the founding fathers of the united states and and some of some of the ideas of uh modern ideas about early modern ideas <laughs> about um about liberty yeah. um which is the idea that liberty really is self-governance liberty is not being a libertine right, right? uh it doesn't mean just doing whatever the heck you want and if you think about it you know uh self-governance presupposes ends to be pursued Right. Like you really can't govern yourself if just everything is possible. Right. right. Instead, if I say, OK, well, here are the ends to be pursued. Um, that what's to be pursued is, is God, uh, truth, community, patriotism, uh, family, uh, things of that nature. These are the goods to be pursued. Now you go and pursue them. Yeah. Right. That's self-governance, because then you have the ends. Right. Or they're already set for you. It's not a sheer possibility. Oh, well, I'm going to, instead of pursuing family, I'm going to marry a tree, right? You or said, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend your life self-defining these that's things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in which case, you just end up with sheer possibility and whichever one you select becomes merely arbitrary, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas on a model of self-governance where you have preset ends, right? Mm-hmm. Ends that correspond to the actualization of the human person uh, and to human nature, uh, then you have okay. Well, here's the destin. Here are the destinations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the capacity to use your mind and your will to uh, to figure out how to get there, right? Uh, that permits. Um, that's that is self governance and allows again for one to actually act freely uh, in a way that is uh, effective, well directed, and in keeping with the nature of the will. Amen. That sounds great. And, and again, this is this is something if you want uh, to go more in depth in this, we do offer a course in the philosophy of the human person, which really, you know, looks at the human person as God designed it, but also, you know, so that we can understand uh, who we are, how we are, how we were created, the design, and, you know, how to be able to seek what is good, seek what is true, uh, and to know it. Uh, and uh, so with that, uh, we're going to thank everybody for listening. In the meantime, check us out at CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. Until next time, God bless.